There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. Hello, friends. Welcome to yours, mine, and ours. Stories of faith and life. Stories are like windows to people's deepest self and inner life. Through our stories, we share who we are and what God has done and is doing in our lives. Thanks to our guest, we will have a fantastic opportunity of listening to funny, engaging, and profound stories of regular people, like you and me, in their journey with Jesus. Don't miss it out, and join us! Hello, people! Welcome to another episode of Yours, Mine, and Ours, Stories of Faith and Life, a podcast of Springfield Heights Mennonite Church. It's my pleasure today uh, to introduce Raphael Dorksen. He is our current lead pastor. Yay! Well, Raphael has been our lead pastor for over the last five years. Did you know that Raphael's middle name is Enrique? Yes, and that's not a very popular middle name among Mennonites, in my understanding, at least. Raphael is a man of many languages and cultures. He was born in Basel, Switzerland. I think it's correct to say Basel, right? Uh, he was raised in Asuncion, Paraguay, and moved to Canada, if I recall correctly, in his teen years. So you can correct me later, Raphael, if I'm wrong with, with any of this. So Raphael has significant uh, leadership, leadership experience, and he was a leader in Out of Town, one of the international discipleship programs at Canadian Mennonite University for a few years. And then he moved to Ontario, and he studied uh, there a little bit, and he was a youth pastor for other couple of years. And then he moved back to Winnipeg to become lead pastor at Springfield Heights in 2016 already. And Raphael is me, uh, married to um, Muriel, and together they have three wonderful, smart, and playful daughters, Olivia, Malia, and Emmeline. So, Raphael, welcome to yours, mine, and ours, Stories of Faith and Life. Thanks for having me, Jose Luis. Well, thank you so much for accepting this invitation. I think we, we haven't had the chance to know you more personally and, and to know more a little bit about your likes, about your life. Uh, and you, I like to say that we pastors have a life beyond the church. For sure. We like to do things, right? We, we love to do other, other stuff. That's so right. thank you again, Rafael, for accepting this invitation. So Thanks let me start with me. the... Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, let, me, let me start with this question. What can you tell us about yourself. Who is Raphael? Uh, who is Raphael? I mean, that's such a long question, large question. I mean, in some ways you've said <laughs> the things that I would identify myself by. You've kind of talked a little bit about where I where I grew up, where I was born, you talked about my family. Uh-huh. I think that's that's all part of who we are, right? Our geographical yeah. background, our story of, of moving to different places. I think if somebody asked you who's Jose Luis, you probably would also talk about moving <laughs> to a new country yes. and what that looks like. So I think that's part of it. But um, I think what comes out of that for, for, many, for many reasons, I think for me, uh-huh. when I say who am I, I always talk about being restless. I mean, People make fun of me at church here too because I'm always oh. moving, 
But this restlessness True. is, I think, is part of my <laughs> life in general. I'm, I like to be doing things or on the move. That doesn't mean that I'm not lazy. I love to just sit around and watch something or read something. Uh-huh. But what I mean is I, I get restless when I'm in one place for too long. I like to travel. I like, I like to see new things. I like oh. to, um, you know, some people... Even even when my wife and I talk about vacation, some people do this whole idea of staycation, you know, just staying at home. And for me, that's not vacation. <laughs> vacation means you're going somewhere. So that's what I always say about myself. I'm easily restless. <laughs> you know what? Your story is very fascinating because you were born in Switzerland. Yeah. At some point in your life, you moved to Paraguay. Yeah, as a so, baby. Yeah. Uh, how, how long did you stay there? In Paraguay? Uh-huh. Oh, in Paraguay, I mean, I was born in Switzerland, but as a baby, we moved back to Paraguay. So in Paraguay, I was, I was in Paraguay for 16 years. And even, but, but even then, uh, the first part of my life, and I lived in a different part of Paraguay. And then um, when I was six or seven years old, we moved to Asuncion, which is the capital city. And so you had to start fresh there. Uh-huh. It was with a new language because at home we'd always spoken German and now I had to learn Spanish. So, yeah, um, I, I do vividly remember that move as well. And so th- it shapes you too in, in starting in a fresh yes, new place, right? absolutely. So. How many languages uh, do you speak, Rafael, right now? I always like to say three and a half. So I speak, what do you mean? So I speak English <laughs> and Spanish and German. Uh, and I would say I'm fluent in all of those. If I have to write in, in German and in <laughs> Spanish, I, it gets a little little tougher. But, you know, there's... Word autocorrect. There's word autocorrect for you, <laughs> and then uh, I would say my half is French because my my wife is from Quebec. We tried to speak French at home with the kids. Uh-huh. Uh, my kids, I think, will be soon will be better than I in French. But yeah, so that's my half language is French. Wow. Yeah. I have to say I'm I'm jealous. Uh, you are very fluent in all of those languages. Um, so uh, remembering about your time in Paraguay when you were a child or you were younger. What did you get uh, into trouble for most around that time? What did I get into trouble for the most? I really tried to think about that. I, w- I don't think I was a wild. <laughs> I, I don't think I was a wild kid by any means. Um, uh-huh. I think I was a stubborn kid in some ways. And I'm trying to think about what what I would probably have gotten most in trouble for is fighting with my brother. And I like <laughs> I, I like to tease, and I I could get him to react strongly uh-huh. sometimes and so i enjoyed that as a kid <laughs> i enjoyed it very uh-huh. much and so i think that's what i would have gotten in, into trouble for you know uh, fighting with my brother and and complaining about things when things wouldn't go my way and really nagging people yeah i could be quite a nagger <laughs> but you know so. what that's a very important aspect uh when you grow up you know uh, uh those kind of little fights with your siblings right some somehow shapes you yeah uh, exactly. your personality and well in, it gives you some room to to express yourself too, and in, in sometimes I mean way. That's true. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't always nice, no. But that's how it is, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what did you want to do, or what did you think about growing up? What did you like to be or want to be? Oh, I always wanted to uh, be a pilot. A pilot. Yeah. What always. Kind of pilot? Always. When I was airplanes? A, airplanes. Yeah. So I always wanted to. I want, always wanted to fly airplanes. Um, oh. well, most most airports we have now don't have uh-huh. a viewing platform for, for airplanes anymore. But I remember yeah. in Asuncion back then, it had a big terrace. And so, so some of the outings we would do as a family is we would go to the airport and watch watch airplanes land just because it was fun. Really? And there was this big terrace outside. Um, and so I always wanted to be a pilot. I always thought that would be a cool job. And I always thought about doing that. And I even 
I even tried it out just as a hobby when I was older. You know, when I when I seriously, could. yeah, I, I I almost got the very the very basic license. It was it's not even a private pilot license. I think it was called uh-huh. a recreational pilot license. So you can only have one pilot. I I was almost there. I was just I, I was just wow. getting ready for my check flight, but I ran out of time and money, and I kind of just left it there. So oh. yeah, but that's always what I wanted to do. Yeah, when I was a kid, that was, if you asked me, that's what I wanted to do. All right, that's interesting to me. Well, we are remain, remaining a little bit in that part of your life. Younger, and you have a brother, his name is Mike. And, well, you, you were saying that you, you love to tease him a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but there might be something, I hope. <laughs> this is your chance to make amends with this Mike. This is my chance to make amends with Mike. Yeah. yeah, there there might be something that you really like about him. Oh yeah, and I think Mike. I think what he was really good at is he was he was very passionate about things, and he always had ideas. He's very entrepreneurial uh-huh. in that way, and always wanted oh. to make things happen. So we would also make fun of him in that way because there was a lot of things he would start and not finish. But um, he was always very <laughs> organized in that, and he always had really. Clear ideas in mind, and he was willing to go for it. I mean, there was no shyness in going for it. There, you know, right. he never felt that pressure of of not doing it because of what people are going to say or this or that. Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of his great strengths. Wow. And your parents, uh, as far as I know, they both uh, live in Winnipeg. Oh yeah, they, today, they both are right? Here. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's why I I originally moved here is because my parents moved and I wasn't uh, of course I had to kind of go where they go you know <laughs> I like to say <laughs> that is it right <laughs> that's yeah, the way yeah. it's just <laughs> a children and family follow us yeah right? exactly but that's that's how it is right true um, what is something uh, that your parents have done that makes you feel proud oh there's lots of things but I think just um, my parents have always been guided by a passion for for those who who are at the margins of society. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, they met working with indigenous people in Paraguay. They, oh. um, they, most of our time in Asuncion was spent working with street children and working with with people who didn't have a place in that society. And so uh-huh. uh, that, that passion has guided them even here. So um, I'm... It, it has kind of guided their choice of work here and has guided yeah. the, the start of Generation Rising with, with some friends, which, which is an organization to help out children in Latin America to, to get a good quality uh-huh. education and, and set them up right. set them up for a higher quality life that doesn't necessarily always uh-huh. mean a wealthier life, just a higher quality sure. of, of living. And so... Um, that's you know that's been integral part and even even moving here that could have been forgotten because you're in a different society here uh-huh. right but but always seeing this idea of the privilege that we have as something that enables us or calls us to to give up large parts of our lives in order to right. to, to 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 work for those who who have less space in our society right yeah um can i ask um about a little bit, just a little bit about their job in, in Paraguay. Um, they work with street kids. Uh, what did they do to help them? Yeah, so um, so my dad was an executive director of what was called Mennonite Voluntary Service there. There is a Mennonite Voluntary oh, Service okay. here in Canada. It's not the same thing. Uh, okay. this, this was a kind of an organization, a development organization founded by all the Mennonites 
all the German-speaking Mennonites in Paraguay, I, I believe, okay. if I'm right. And so he was the executive director, and, and so uh, so the, there was a shelter for street kids that, uh-huh. that they started. So it was street kids that were living on the streets or working on the streets and partially living on the streets and in yes. situations of abuse at home, lots of alcoholism, all that kind of thing, no education. And so uh-huh. they started this shelter where, where they could live and, and have food and then get education wow. as well. So it became their second home. They mostly would still have had parents that, that would come and visit, but parents who just couldn't take care of their kids. Mm. Alongside mm. that, this organization also had a uh, daycare for single mothers who were living in wow. some of the slums by the river. Uh, there was work <clears throat> in different areas, kind of on the outskirts of suburbs of the cities, uh, uh-huh. people who... You know, development work for people who who didn't have work and jobs and and that kind of stuff. So it was wide ranging. It wasn't just street kids, yeah, but the, yeah. the big passion, I think, because my mom was working at that shelter and it was something that my dad was passionate about. So we spent, you know, we would spend Christmas Eve there for the Christmas programs. Uh-huh. We would go to the birthday parties, all that kind of stuff. It was wow, yeah, yeah. wow. What what a fantastic job! At what time uh, did you move to to Canada? We moved when I was 16, I think. 16, okay. getting close to 17. So, uh-huh. yeah, it, I had almost finished grade 10 over there. And, uh, oh. yeah, so, but we moved kind of in in and around September sometimes. So when the school, when the school year is starting here. Yeah. So that, that created a little bit of trouble trying to figure out what, what grade I would go to once I'm here. Because, yes. The school year in, in South America runs from, from January to November, right? And so by September, yeah. you're three quarters of the way through your year. But here, you're only starting in September. So trying to figure that out was rough at times. So um, I actually, I actually the way it happened is that I did start back in grade 10 because because I just because I couldn't understand all of the English and I didn't exactly right. know what I was telling the ca- guidance counselor and quickly realized that 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 I was ahead of most students that I was with uh-huh. in grade 10. And so I combined grade 10, grade 11, and grade 12 into two years. Wow. So that I could graduate with my age group, basically. That's amazing. Wow, that's amazing, Rafael. Uh, let me switch a little bit here some some topics. Uh, yeah. And then, well, Rafael grew up. Uh, he became a man. <laughs> you finished yes. high school. There we go. And yeah. at some point, you went to university. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed of your studies, I made some research about okay. you. <laughs> uh, most of your studies are concentrated in Bible and theology. Yes. Why did you choose that path? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a very banal reason. Is I was getting the best grades in those courses, so uh, the, the, you knew all the answers. <laughs> yeah, the, the beauty, the beauty of the the beauty of, of of a bachelor of arts, which I did for my undergrad, is that you don't have to choose right away what you want to do. So yeah. you can take some courses, and so I took a wide variety of courses. Some, uh-huh. so in retrospect, some of them are foolish. I don't know why I ever took math in university. I mean, I wasn't gonna become. <laughs> I wasn't going to become a math teacher or a mathematician. We all know that. But I, I, I okay. did. I, I took a variety of courses in right. my first year. And I just realized that the ones that I was most passionate about, and therefore I also got the best grades in, were, were Bible and theology courses. So uh-huh. I kind of locked that in. I, I took some business courses on the side and um, just just to get a different different idea. And so 
yeah, I kind of stuck with that, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there, was uh, no, there was no real career choice in that sense. It was just, you know, if you're studying, you might as well study what you like studying the most. Uh, right. And then see where that takes you next. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, did you know at the time that uh, you wanted to be a pastor? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I actually just thought, hey, I don't know if I want to be a pastor or not, but this is what I enjoy studying. So I'm going to start with that. I'm going to do a uh -huh. practicum. I did a practicum in Germany. At a small church, which which is where where I got to preach the first time and where I got to see wow. church stuff the first time and and just to explore what that would look like and that's where the first kind of people said to me, "Hey, you should consider becoming a pastor. This this could be something that you're good uh -huh. at." Uh, and so and so that's kind of what kind of set me up for that trajectory. Then, but as you see, I didn't necessarily become a pastor even after yeah. I stopped yeah, my yeah. undergrad. Right, so it it's not. It was very much saying, "Hey, this is what I enjoy studying, and I'll see where that uh -huh. leads." That leads me to later, you know. Right, right. Um, and how did you transition to from kind of theological student? Uh, you work a little bit in out of town. That's a kind of it was a discipleship program yeah. at uh, Simeo, right? And you yeah. were a leader over over there. You travel around the world, leading some younger students. Uh, but then you transitioned into a pastoring role. H how did it happen? Yeah, I mean, so I, I took a year off after after I was done my undergrad. I actually went to German, okay. Germany with a with a program called Trek, which is a yeah. which is a sort of short term missions program for young people through MB uh -huh. Mission. And we, we we worked with the church there, and we did a bunch of things. So that kind of helped me finalize some of my thoughts and I never saw right. out of town as a non-pastoral role. I think it's oftentimes sure, seen yeah. as that True. because you're not saying, Hey, you're the site pastors, you're site leaders. But the things that we had to do on out of town is even on the teaching side, on, on the mentoring side, on working mm -hmm. through theological issues with our students. I remember my first year, most of the guys that I was mentoring were uh -huh. came out of Christian households, but had given up on Christianity. And oh. so we we spent a year talking about that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and, and so it's very much a pastoral role. It's just in a non-formalized way. And so True. then I thought after I got married, that I, that's where I met my wife. After I got married, I thought I would do some more studies. I always said uh -huh. I need more tools in my toolbox before <laughs> I become a formal pastor. And uh -huh. I realized very quickly that that was the wrong approach. And and so th that's that's when I decided, hey, I'm going to look for a pastoral role somewhere, uh -huh. and I'm going to keep studying As while while I work and while I'm applying oh, right. it in general. Sure. And so that's that kind of was the transition. So, um, yeah, it 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 actually was fairly easy for me. I uh -huh. felt because as a youth pastor, you have some of that leeway to do to do things differently perhaps than oh, the lead yeah, pastor absolutely. you know and uh, and uh, the place that i went to had we had a really good staff team probably one of the better staff teams that i've ever seen outside of you and i of course i'm not saying anything <laughs> but um you know we we were we had a very supportive staff team and there's yeah. lots of things that we talked about yeah. and worked through and so I think that that made it very easy to kind of see, hey, this mm. is what church work is like. I've right. always been a volunteer in church since I was in high school. That you know, and so it's not like this was just okay. Now this looks completely different, but oh it just, yeah, it just helps you to 
to to give some practical one of one of the dangers I think that we face if I can rant <laughs> here for a second I think one of the dangers that we face is that we've professionalized education so much that we say we have yeah. to have the full education before we can become pastors. Right. And what that means is we have a lot of pastors who know lots about theology, but very little about how to practically apply that. And that was one of my frustrations <laughs> when I was just a student. And no disrespect to some of the students I was studying with, but sure. I felt like some of the things we were talking about were just not practical because I was uh-huh. thinking about my time at Out of Town and how that would have just not been applicable and that the questions of some of the young people that I was working with were not the questions we were asking as theology students who spent their whole lives in university studying theology. True. And so part of part of studying well is having good questions. And so that's why I think it's actually crucially important that especially once you get into the higher levels, unless you want to become a professor or something like that. But if you're looking to be a pastor, that that you work while you study in, in order to to have better questions to answer. There is a lot of value uh, having some experience yeah. and then uh, going either back to school or going to school, right. uh, to university and study. You, you would do, you would make actually better questions yeah. because your experience challenges you. Right. Working with people challenges you, shapes you, transforms you in many ways. Uh, and reality confronts you, and when you face reality, well, you have you have questions that come from bottom bottom up, exactly. and not just from this world of kind of ideas only, that's right. right? Yeah, that's right. And, and that's so, the you know, like I could tell even when I was doing when I was working and doing my master's part time uh-huh. in the classes, you could tell the people who were actively working and the people who were just studying. Oh just, yeah. Just, yeah, 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 just by the comments and just by the in, yes, in, in, and so it's it's yeah, it's very different. Let's put it you can way. see that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people who doesn't have or who don't have experience right. normally ask questions related to something that they read in a book or, or something that is right. an idea, but not really uh, some practical yeah. stuff. Uh, that's that's always fascinating to me. Well, you have already touched a little bit on what I'm going to ask, but but maybe you can say a little bit more. Yeah. What would you say are some of the strengths? but also some of the improvements of your theological education. What could theological colleges uh, do better? I've, I've said this several times. I, I, I have the privilege of sitting on, on council at, at CMU, and I've mm-hmm. said it a couple times there. I think we need to keep working harder at educating our future pastors. Uh-huh. And that's all I know about because that's what I was, right? So I don't want to talk about what we can do better to educate our scientists or to educate our teachers because I I have no purview on that. But but, but theological schools that are trying to educate pastors, I think, need to do a better job. And even if they're trying to educate people for future academic work as professors or, or, you know, whatever it is, I think we need to have a better integration of practical uh-huh. practical thoughts and ideas together with with the academic realm you know uh-huh. i mean most most pastors come out of an mdiv which is supposed to and i didn't do that but i didn't i didn't do an mdiv but an mdiv mm-hmm. is supposed to prepare you for for pastorate right most people come out right. of an mdiv fluent in hebrew and greek but 
don't know, you know, governance structures or uh-huh. or how to read a finance, you know, finance report, what what a balance sheet is, what an income and expense statement is, you know, those kind right. of things. How right. how do you motivate people? How do you lead a council? Mm-hmm. How do you look at the governance structures of your church? How uh-huh. do you improve the, the the structural components of, of your church? Um, yep. You may also come out of these and not know how to talk to people about some of the issues they face, the proper boundaries on when mm-hmm. you refer someone. And so, we we often come out of these studies with a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but very little knowledge right. of people. And um, yeah, I, I think in general, I think as much as universities are trying, Christian universities and Christian seminaries are trying, I think that's, that's, the, that's the next step. And I actually think COVID... Uh-huh. I actually think COVID is can perfectly position us to do that. Yeah, yeah. And what could you highlight about what you received uh, in different places because you study in different places, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and listen, I this is my my highlight. What I received was that I studied in different places. So, How so? there's also a tendency sometimes I think within within our Anabaptist world to only choose Anabaptist places to go study. Uh-huh. So the natural uh-huh. progression would be to go from a Canadian Mennonite university to another Mennonite place yes. or a Mennonite yeah. seminary. And that's what I did in the beginning. And I just realized that, that, that there was not enough diversity. And this mm-hmm. is just, there, this is no, no, I'm not trying to disrespect anyone or anything. Sure. But if you're always with the same people and you're always talking about the same things, I think <laughs> you're not always growing. And yeah. so, and if you're growing, you're only growing in one direction and, and you have. Yeah. So one of the greatest gifts that I received was to switch to a different place, you know, um, to talk about the patristics, to talk about the wow, amazing. S- story of Christianity from before 1500s, you uh-huh. know, not just uh-huh. after the radical reformation. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, and once again, no disrespect, but there is a, there's a huge value to, to that. Um, yes, and so that's the. I think that's the big gift. It's and the ability. I think the one thing that studies give you is the ability to critically assess your own thoughts and your own emotions, mm-hmm. and to 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 be okay with uncertainty at some level, which mm-hmm. helps you not just in your theology but in life in general because we always face uncertainty and we get into mm-hmm. trouble when we try to clear it up and bring certainty too quickly. Yeah. 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 There is uh, a lot of value uh, in in broadening your perspective, right. especially with other Christians. Exactly. Uh, even when when you disagree or or they disagree with you, yeah. Uh, there there is a lot of value in that. Uh, when you surround yourself with same people uh, that thinks uh, the same things like you, you yeah. arrive always over and over again to the same conclusions. That's exactly so. It. Your mind get, gets stuck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, mean, and that's the problem, right? I mean, learning happens when you disagree with others, and others disagree yeah. with you. And it forces you to think. It. Right? Absolutely and, does, yeah. And challenges to uh, even your own beliefs or your own conclusions, your own thoughts. Right. Which is amazing because then you can rethink yeah. again, right? And, and we should and we should want that and we should value that. But the, Absolutely. We, we feel like it's safer if we don't. Yes. And, yeah. and I think that's what gets us into trouble in general, uh-huh. not just in uh-huh. theology, but that gets us in trouble in all parts of our lives. Absolutely, we, yeah. We're so closed off to new ideas that, and, and that gets dangerous sometimes. 
Ajá. Well, uh, we have talked uh, about education, uh, but you have a lot of experience. You are a younger, young person, uh, way yeah. younger than I. <laughs> I'm a little bit over 40, so... Um, yeah, I'm a, with quite your a bit under 40. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, with your experience, what are some of the joys and challenges of being a pastor in, in, in Canada, in Winnipeg, perhaps, more specifically? Joys and challenges of being a pastor. I think the joys in general are that that you get to learn with your congregation. Mm -hmm. And that's a particular joy of mine. So another pastor would probably say a joy is that they can walk alongside congregants and work mm -hmm. through some of the, the painful parts of their lives. And I'm very open and honest about saying that's not something that I'm really good at. Uh -huh. Partially just because of my personality and, and, and that kind of stuff. But what is, what is really... A privilege is that you get to open the Bible and you get to say, hey, this is what I'm learning. Do you want to learn this too? Yes. You know, yes. I think that's a huge joy. And I, yeah, I, I feel like that's such a crucial part to who I am. And uh -huh. so that's what I have enjoyed over and over again. There is joy to, for me also, to work through some of the structural things in the church because a church I is an organization that. and we need... <laughs> you are good at it. <laughs> and, and we need to work on those kind of things and it's part of our calling. Um, yes. Sometimes we want to kind of separate that out and we say, you know, our finances is not church or our council is not church, but in, all of it is church and all mm -hmm. of it helps us yeah. to be church in this world. And so Absolutely. all of it requires yeah. faithfulness and all of it requires a lot of thought. And uh -huh. so there's huge joy in that for me. I think the challenges of being a pastor in Canada, maybe it's a similar challenge to being a pastor in other places, but we are mm -hmm. not a we're, we're not a high power power difference power distance culture in Canada, right? And so what we and which is fine. I mean, I don't want to be a dictator, nor should a pastor want to be a dictator. Uh -huh. We get into trouble when pastors are dictators sometimes. But I think the challenge is that we are being bombarded with so much information all the time is that people are not really being discipled by their pastoral mm -hmm. staff and their church anymore, or even by fellow believers from their church. Yes. People are being discipled by people on YouTube and and on the internet blogs. And what that actually does is uh -huh. you don't grow because you have no way of evaluating whether that person is trustworthy or not, because you never see that person. You're never uh -huh. interacting with that person. Uh -huh. You, you, you have uh -huh. a way of evaluating your own pastor because you see them and and they're always around and you see their family and you you watch their face when they talk to you. You know what they do with you after right. after the church service. You know whether they're friendly or not after a church service. All those yes. kind of things, right? You have a direct contact. And sometimes what that means is I can evaluate my own pastor in a harsher way because I see them all the time and <laughs> I can put all these people yep. on the internet up on a pedestal. I believe every word they say, even though I have no idea whether they have yes. studied it well, I have no idea where they have studied, but I just, they say the things that I want to hear. And so I elevate them. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges pastors face across yep. the board, unless you're in a mega church, unless yep. you're in a mega church that yep. creates all this multi online multimedia content and you're working in a, from True. a, from a very authoritarian yep. perspective where whatever I say goes, mm -hmm. But I think that's a challenge that pastors face across Canada and the United States is that that most of our congregants 
trust the word of somebody on the internet more than they would of the pastor that they know. That is a, a great point that you are making right now, because it seems to me that in, on the one hand, a lot of people seek for this kind of influence. It could mm-hmm. be pastor or something else, huh? Uh, and they receive uncritically right. their words. Right. That's one thing. But on the other hand, uh, it, it seems to me that there is this idea of buying right. images. You know, we we consume right. images, we consume messages. We don't know those right. people, but we think yeah. that they are better. We think that they say things yeah. better than us. They think similar yeah. to us. It makes sense what they are saying, but we don't know them. And then we have these huge scandals like uh, Ravi Zacharias, for example, and others, many others. And and suddenly all those kind of idolatry, if I'm allowed to say that, you know, it just crumbles, just crumbles. And because discipleship actually is not that... Discipleship has to do with a lot of life. And sometimes there is a lot of value just watching your pastor fail in some cases, making bad decisions, uh, or sometimes even disagreeing with that pastor. And and, and then sitting together around the table and talk and have conversations. I think there's huge value. So the danger in what I said is that people will say, "Oh, Pastor Raphael wants everybody to just believe him and not believe others," which is not what I'm. Which is not what I'm yeah. saying. I've always said that that <laughs> I'm not God, and so every word that I say needs to be critically and looked at critically, and yes. people need to do their own study and their own prayer and their own kind of place mm-hmm. place of interpreting what it is that God is saying. So uh, that's that's yeah. faithful Christianity. We, the problem yeah. is that we we can do that with the with the people that are in front of us, but we rarely can ever do that with the people on the internet because we have no way of of knowing their motivations. We have no way of knowing why they yes. are doing what they're doing. Uh-huh. We have no way of knowing what's sure. going on behind the scenes because we just not do not see them, right? Uh-huh. And so we we have to be fairly uncritical with people online, and 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 if we are critical, we are dismissive. Which that's not the same thing either. Yeah. Right. So if you're critical yeah. of your pastor, that doesn't mean yeah. that you've dismissed your pastor. If you're critical of your pastor, it uh-huh. means that you have questions, and hopefully that pa- that pastor will take that criticism, work through it, and and, and you can have, have at least a conversation about whether you agree or not. This right. is a different thing, right? Uh-huh. But but yes, online you absolutely. can't do that. So either you wholeheartedly accept it and you hit the share button, or you wholeheartedly dismiss it. And that's it, right? There is no room for actual, <laughs> yeah. real critical engagement, and so and so. No, what no, we have no. is 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 in many ways is people who just follow blindly, or who do not yes. follow at all to certain things, which means we're just mm-hmm. further and further kind of narrowing the boundaries of our own little systems, and, and we have room, yeah. no room for other opinions, and we're actually not growing then either, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure, and that's absolutely. The big, that's yeah. the big danger. There's no actual no, there's discipleship. No actual discipleship so. I agree, absolutely. Um, and then, while you were pastoring here in our church, uh, things were going, I would say, well. You know, we had new vision, mission, and it seems that the sheep, uh, the, the no, the, the, yeah, the ship. ship, not the sheep, yeah, the ship <laughs> was was going yeah. well. You know, was navigating well, and suddenly, COVID right. happened. <laughs> and yeah. show up, and it affect, affected us all in many yeah. uh, levels. Um, 
what have been perhaps two or the three majors or more significant challenges as a pastor that uh, this whole pandemic um, has played uh, over you? I think the initial challenge was just to to become a pastor of, to a camera. Uh, you know, you and I, you and I both That's worked strange. on that, and and to just <laughs> all of a sudden become multimedia experts. Um, you know, there's been times where it's been hinted at that 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 this is a preference of ours and that it makes our life easier. And I think I could categorically okay. say it didn't make our life easier. It uh-huh. didn't. It didn't. No, we were fairly <laughs> fairly played into the roles that we had already. We knew yeah. what we were doing, and yeah, we were we were we were feeling good. I remember I was feeling good in January and February. Things were going really uh-huh. really good, and we were looking forward to to Easter. And then all of this happens, and so um, right. The big challenge is for me personally was to just switch to this new method to to learn about live streaming, which I had never done, to learn about video yeah. editing, which I didn't like. Yeah, all those kind of things, and and for us, it was really much really about pastoral care, about taking care of people uh, the best way we could, uh-huh. and to provide some sort of normal uh-huh. kind of services. So that's I think one challenge. The other challenge is that what happens with all of us in in crisis is that when a crisis hit, the first thing we do is we we band together. And so I really think that uh-huh. happened. And so that's one of the joys. But as crisis prolongs and in the environment that we live now, we have so much information that flows at us. And we, in many ways, we have no mm-hmm. way to, we have no way to filter all that information. Unless we have people in our lives who True. are kind of the authoritarian figure who says, you can believe that, you should not believe that. Um, unless, mm-hmm. and, and, and we don't work like that in our congregation. So once we start being bombarded with this much information and the fatigue sets in, mm-hmm. I think what happens for all of us is that we regress to sometimes to a previous version of who we were that we thought we had left behind. And so I think some of yeah. that happened in our congregation and some of that happened to most of us in some ways. And a lot of us had to work through that, you know, mm. and, and say, hey, how about, how about sure. this pandemic makes us something new? You know, personally, how about it actually mm-hmm. creates a, mm-hmm. uh, something new in me, uh, something that's, that's, that more wholesomely reflects the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but for a lot of us, we've also dealt then with mental health issues, whether we could name that or not. Yeah. And, and that sometimes pulls us yeah. back. And so the challenge yeah. is how do you uh-huh. how do you address that when you can't see people and you're not with people, and and you have to be careful and all those kind of things. So, and yeah. and, and then the the third challenge I think I already kind of addressed in the previous section when we talked about being discipled. There there was just such a uh-huh. huge implosion of Christian leaders and pastors who saw this as the opportunity to gain influence over tons of people that they're not in direct contact with. And so there's been an uh-huh. explosion of, of, of disciple makers over the internet. And that's a huge challenge, right? <laughs> because, yeah. yeah. And, and so the challenge also for yourself is to resist the temptation to become that. You know? Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I think we're all working on that as pastors because our temptation always is to want to have more people listen to us. And I think uh-huh. that's the biggest challenge for, for most pastors is to resist the temptation of being a successful like those pastors or like that person or, yeah. So, that's how I would say. To me, they look like the new uh, Christian social media yeah. influencers. and we all start to want to be that, <laughs> right? We start watching views, yeah. we try to, and so we yes. really have to watch what the 
I think that's a big challenge of pandemic for pastors. We really have to watch what our motivation is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and perhaps that's an, a reminder for ourselves, especially right. in our Anabaptist heritage, um, that plays a lot of, um, not put a lot of um, uh, load in the idea of right. faithfulness. We have been called right. to be faithful yeah. people. Well, that's the thing. People. And faithfulness oftentimes goes in a very right? long direction, right? Like it takes a long yes. time. Now, if you have the chance uh, to speak, let's say you you, you are yeah. in a conference speaking to thousands of pastors. I know <laughs> that one of my daughters is going to criticize because I say thousand with D. Yeah. Anyway, if, if you have the chance to speak to a lot of pastors and, and church yeah. leaders during this pandemic... And you can advise them in some areas uh, that uh, the churches or our churches could grow. What would you say? Where is some room in, in, in which our churches can grow during this pandemic? I think there is room. So, there's first of all, the first thing is to not see technology as an enemy. I think we can all grow in that. Mm-hmm. So, what that means then, if technology is not an enemy, it still needs to be thought about deeply. Right? Yes. And so pastors can do that, but congregations have to do that as well. So the mm-hmm. idea that we can stop live streaming once the pandemic is done, I think, is one of those things. We believe that if we stop the camera, people will come back to church. And the reality is that if we mm-hmm. stop the camera, people won't come back to church. They will just turn on another YouTube channel. That, that's uh-huh. just going to be the reality. And as, as long as we see technology somehow inhibiting our, our work instead of helping our work, we're, we're stuck. That being said, you still have to think mm. deeply about how you use that technology. And so if you ever go back nor- right. to, to a normal place, I think there will have to be a lot of work done and seeing what does it look like if we keep live streaming and how do we encourage people to seek actual community, not just... Not just mm-hmm. pure information from a screen or pure entertainment from a screen. And, and I know some churches mm-hmm. are addressing that by having virtual churches where they have virtual, you know, it's basically we have an on-site campus and we have an online campus and we have yeah. an online pastor. Yeah. And that's fair. I just wonder if that's the same thing. And um, I, I think there will have to be new ways yeah. to think about that. Beyond just saying, hey, we're going to have an online baptism, an online communion, and an uh-huh. online campus, uh-huh. you know, uh, you're just creating a new church, a new congregation. And I, I, yeah, I wonder what that would look like. So, so there has to be, you have to think deeper about technology. Um, sure. The other thing sure. is, what I would tell pastors is there's room for growth if we resist our temptation to be influencers, like you said. To, to uh-huh. we resist our temptation uh-huh. to want to influence a large swath of people that that are not actually part of who we are. Um, yeah. And then the yeah. third thing is there's lots of room for growth. If And I think pandemic has actually taken us the opposite direction, but there is lots of room for growth if we started to see our work as collaborative rather than competitive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there, I think pandemic could have really got us together as churches to be collaborative with us, each other. Uh-huh. The churches who had a lot uh-huh. could have helped the churches who have very little. 
and we could have worked together uh-huh. at this. But instead, I think what's happened, yep. and I see this in Winnipeg all the time, I see this in our area here in Winnipeg all the time, I consider ourselves more at the middle class. You know, we have enough to make things work, but uh-huh. you see other churches that are are struggling. And then you see other churches who've yeah, seen this sure. as an opportunity to really... Um, reach people that go to other churches, you know, it's the, it's the, uh. I'm so, I'm going to be very honest here and maybe I shouldn't be, but that whole sentence that I read on Facebook all the time from, from pastors, and this is not in Winnipeg, this is in Ontario and some of the other places, but this whole, uh-huh. you know, hey, our, our online service starts in 15 minutes. If you already have a church, you should connect with them. But if you're looking around, why not check us out? Yeah. You know, <laughs> which is kind of, it's this idea that, hey, we're competing with other churches for the same amount of people. So we're, we're treating each other like competing yeah. businesses instead of co-workers in yeah. the kingdom of God. And I think COVID could have really helped us to move away from that. So far, it's actually done the opposite, yeah. but that's where there's room for growth uh-huh. in the church, you know? Hey, Raphael, I'm going to transition a little bit uh, around the same topic. So let me ask, ask you this question. Who is a source of inspiration oh. for you around these days and, and why? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't have one particular person, to be honest. Uh-huh. So, I, but but there's a that's fair. I follow a bunch of people on Twitter and on Facebook, and so I get a lot of inspiration from 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 honest pastors online. So uh-huh. pastors who uh-huh. are not necessarily looking for a platform or to grow their platform or to become something, but rather people who are who are right. just honestly sharing some of their joys and some of their struggles and, and that kind of stuff. I think that's uh-huh. very inspirational. Um, some of the honesty of saying, hey, this is this is not working. Some of the struggles and how we talk about vaccinations, that kind of stuff. So, so all that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff is more inspiring to me than necessarily the one person who has really good videos or has or has uh-huh. really good points. And, and those are out there too. But, you know, yeah. so yeah, you have certain per people that you read, right? So I find Scott McKnight very mm-hmm. helpful. I'm reading a book by Kristen Gomez-Dumez that I find really helpful. Um, uh-huh. I've been reading some books on Revelation because of our sermon series. I find that very inspiring and it kind of helps me push forward and, oh, yeah. and move forward, you know? So some <laughs> of my research it. for sermons really, really helps. Um, and so, uh-huh. so there's that kind of, there's that kind of stuff. But in general, I think deep, honest conversations, whether they're online or in person, I think those are very, very inspirational, especially during this time. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Well, now I'm going to make a bigger switch yeah. here uh, because we are going in transition into another right. topic. We are living a little bit church and a little bit of theology and that kind of questions and discussions. Uh, I would like uh, to ask uh, you a little bit about uh, uh, your marriage. You have been married for yeah. a couple of years. So um, what can you tell you, uh, us about your wife? How so did we you met on Out of Town. We were, we were both leaders on Out of Town. So we worked We worked together uh-huh. on the same site for two years, and then and then on the, th- on the third year she she went to a different site, and I worked on a different site. So we that third year was long distance, but yeah. So so we started uh-huh. dating after our second year working together, basically. Yeah. Uh huh. And and then you married. What, what so did we you got married in Quebec, married. close to Quebec City. Yeah. So she's okay. from Quebec. Her parents okay. are are from from Quebec, and so um, 
we had family fly in and family fly in from Europe as well, and it was very nice. It was outside by a oh, lake, wow. so kind of what we really enjoy that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds awesome. Uh, uh, so, what are some of the gifts uh, that Mimi brings to your oh, life? I think she's very um, she's very determined and very energetic. She has lots of ideas and makes things happen. She's she's the friendlier version uh-huh. of us too. So she's the one that smiles and she's the one that's nice. I'm more introverted sometimes and I have to force myself and she just naturally gravitates to people. So uh, so in that sense, she she adds that her, her whole desire for her whole life has been to be a mom. And um, I know, yeah. you know, I'm... It's been. It's very clear how I feel about the fact. I mean, I have three daughters. It's very clear how I feel about the fact that I think that yeah. women can do anything they want to do and set their minds to, and they they should be treated yeah. equally with the same respect, uh, with the same salary, uh-huh. with the same with the same positions as anybody else in 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 this world. Absolutely. And that being said, I think it's also fair for a woman to say that the desire of my life is to be a mom and that's what I want to be. So, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. that's who who she is and so she has yeah, really embraced that and she she runs our household in in many ways that I couldn't. And uh, <laughs> I'm very thankful for that <laughs> and I would do it if I had to. But um yeah, I, I made the promise to her that, that I would always try to find a job where she didn't have to work so she could be at home. That's one thing she asked of me before we got married. And so far, we've managed that. So, yeah, so she uh-huh. kind of adds adds all of that into into life and makes it all work together and it makes our family function, you know. Wonderful. Well, uh, and you and Mimi have three daughters, yep. you say that already. Uh, so what kind of activities do you like to do Oof. with them? I mean, anything, they, they're they all very different. They're all, but, you know, because they're, especially the oldest two are fairly close in age, um, they kind of feed off of each other. And so, uh-huh. <laughs> um, oh yeah. <laughs> while, while the younger one is maybe a bit more of a homebody and the older one is more of a let's get out, you know, once <laughs> one of them does want something, they all want to, they all want to do it. Um, and you know, as we as we move from one to two to three, we've gotten more and more stubbornness into our lives too. So that's very uh-huh. interesting. <laughs> but you know, we, we like to do things outside with them. They love to to go on their scooters or on their bikes. We, so we go for bike rides. We go outside. We like to go camping with them. They love it, even though I don't uh-huh. sleep much when I'm camp. So, uh, you know, but uh, okay. they just like that. They enjoy yeah. trips and they enjoy seeing new places. And so um, that's that's kind of the thing. Playing soccer outside or, or or just playing in the yard outside. We usually put up a pool in the summer so they can play there. So, you know, they just uh-huh. they just like to be very active. And so that's what we try to do. Nice. And as I said before, we pastors have a life for sure beyond church and that's fair i mean that's 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 good so do you have any favorite sport or hobby or do you like to do something different related to church that brings you uh joy and energy uh yeah i mean i don't i don't play any sports it's not it's not part of my Uh gifting or my physique really but uh (laughs) Uh i I enjoy watching (laughs) sports a lot and i enjoy i watch almost everything that i can watch with some exceptions but 
so so I could spend a lot of time watching sports. I love watching football, uh-huh. hockey. I love watching hockey, except the Jets are not very great these days, so that makes it a little bit harder. <laughs> but those kind of things I really enjoy. I you know when I had time before, I would love to go to the airport and watch airplanes still. Um, just just yeah. seeing how airplanes work, how you know, just being in that environment, I really uh-huh. enjoyed that. And then uh, the biggest thing is I enjoy traveling. So. It's nice to even just go to a lake uh, on the weekend, you know. You, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm really bad at fishing, but just to throw a fishing rod in and to go out on a boat if you can, <laughs> that kind of stuff is just really, really nice. Uh-huh. And um, try to do that as much as you can uh, within the constraints that you have when you have little kids and <laughs> you run out of time for doing things, right? So Yeah. Yeah. And especially here in Winnipeg, that the, our winter is such a long winter. Yeah, and winter, so one thing man, that right? I do like in the winter, and we started doing that again this year, is um, is uh-huh. uh, cross country skiing. It just gives you it just gives oh, you activity really? to do in the winter and to really get out. Uh-huh. So, well, you said that, uh, already as well that uh, you have traveled around right. the world. Uh, so let me ask you this question: What is the strangest food you have ever eaten? Oh, and see, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a strange food eater, so I stay away from strange <laughs> food. Uh, tell me, are you I'm a picky? very picky eater. Yeah. With food, yeah, and I don't like, I don't like spicy <laughs> stuff, so I, I'm really careful with that. Okay. Um, but uh, the, I guess the strangest, and it's not very strange because <laughs> I know a lot of people will eat that. But we ate some. In Africa, we ate some chicken feet and some chicken heads. Um, yeah, you, you heads. would suck the brain out, and then you would kind of eat the meat around the head. So I... you took the beak off first, and then, yeah. Uh-huh. So it wasn't bad. It, it was okay. Yeah. But that's, that's, <laughs> that's as far as it has gone with the strangeness, because, uh, yeah. Yeah, you kind of tried to stay away. Um, in Guatemala, up in the mountains with the with some some Kekchi people, Uh, we would um uh-huh. you wouldn't always know exactly what it was so i can't really tell you but they have a fire in the uh-huh. middle of their house where they and so then they would hang chickens and stuff like that right over the fire and let them just slowly smoke uh, and so then oh. you would find that in your soup or you know with the beans and the, really? the corn tortillas so um Yeah, I I never knew how old they were and how long they had sat there and that kind of stuff. But yeah, you kind of you you couldn't always know what you were getting, and so you were just hoping that yeah. that it would be okay. And and do you have any favorite Mennonite, Mennonite. food? <laughs> that is something that I I I, I discover here in Canada, that and I Mennonite love it. Mennonite food, you mean? Oh, I don't yeah. know. I I do like I do like. Uh, I do like the pierogies, but not the ones with cottage cheese. I, I, I like them with other other things in there. I don't like cottage cheese uh-huh. and farmer sausage. That, that's one of the things I couldn't, oh, we, couldn't yes. get, we couldn't get the Love kind it. of farmer sausage that you get here in Western Canada and Ontario. You just couldn't find it. It just didn't exist. Oh, and I didn't know that. I thought because there was lots of Mennonites and, and even Russian Mennonites in, in Ontario that you would get that, but you just couldn't. You know, the Pioneer Farmer Sausage that you get here, you can even get some uh-huh. something similar like that in BC. You can kind of get it across Western Canada, but not, you couldn't find it in Ontario. I, I couldn't. And so that that's that's the kind of stuff that I like. But yeah. But if you ask me about my favorite food, it's always going to be barbecue. And that is not, me- that, you know, meat. That's not Mennonite at all. That's just, <laughs> you know, human. 
And how do you like the barbecue? I love yeah. barbecues, yeah. actually. Well, my friend and I always laugh. My friend from Paraguay always laughed because here in Canada, oftentimes we say barbecue and we mean sausages and hamburgers. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> that was my first exactly, disappointment exactly. here in Canada. <laughs> that, that's a cross-cultural experience. The first time you go to a barbecue and you realize it's hot dogs. Yeah, so I enjoy steaks. I, you know, I enjoy big cuts of meat that you roast slowly over time uh -huh. and then... And then, and, and then you cut. That's that's the kind of stuff I like, yeah. Is there any chore that you like to do or or any least chore that... The least really chore I like to do is... I, I, what, I would, what I hate doing is cleaning the toilets and cleaning washrooms. Um, and so, but it has to be done. There's no, ch there's no chore uh -huh. that I really enjoy, but I have no problems doing the dishes. That's my role often is to do the dishes. Uh -huh. I have no issues doing that. I like... To, I don't like help then, I just like to do it by myself so it goes quick and I do it my way. And um, yeah, and, and I like cooking. I do a lot of cooking too when I can and baking. Really? What do you bake? I'm, I'm not a really good baker. Everything. Right? I don't do that. I, I cook. Make, but you know, everything. Cookies, bread, cinnamon buns, pizza, nice. all that kind of stuff. I try, yeah, I like to try different things out when I can. Uh, I have a lot, two more questions for you. One is, uh, you have a collaborative uh, project. It's a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, Modern yeah. and the Baptist, yeah. it's called. And you work with uh, Tobias Penner yeah. there. So what it, that uh, podcast is about uh, and what do you like oh, about I, it? it? It came out of conversations that Tobin and I have in general. He studies, he's studying psychology and and we always talk about church uh -huh. and we talk about different things. And so we thought, hey, why don't, why don't we put some of our debates and some of our conversations online? Uh -huh. And so that's why we enjoy it. It's very conversational. We, we don't really put ourselves in any questions. We just talk about a certain topic uh -huh. and we go kind of back and forth and we try to bring the two different perspectives into it. But we also believe that not necessarily Mennonitism, but Anabaptism itself is a very uh -huh. attractive concept for, for a lot of people. Because yes. we, uh -huh. we find it to be a more faithful reading of the Bible in many ways than, than some other uh -huh. traditions have brought. And so that's why we want to kind of always bring that Anabaptist perspective to whatever we talk about. And that's why we called it the modern uh -huh. Anabaptist. Nice. Can you tell us about the pieces of technology or apps or <laughs> software uh, yeah, that help question. you most? Uh, I, well, first of all, you need a Mac computer if you want to do things the right way. That's how I feel about <laughs> it. And so, <laughs> you <laughs> so, are the Mac boy. Yes. <laughs> you converted me. So I enjoy that. And so, um, so that, I think that's a huge, that's a huge piece. Um, I, I think anything uh -huh. that makes your life more convenient. So I use a note-taking app called Evernote. There's other ones out there, but that's that's really important to uh -huh. to be able to. So I keep my documents in that in that way. You can take photos of things and the notes yeah. app on my iPhone. I think a, a good cell phone is an essential workplace as well, and so it's uh -huh. where you can take photos. You can so you remember things. Um, one thing that has helped us as a church is WhatsApp. You know, just to communicate to a wide mm -hmm. swath of people. I think emailing is kind of on its way out. And so this gives you a direct message into a lot of people's phones. And so you can have these groups. I think you still need Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you need Facebook to communicate to people. And yeah. so yeah. we have a Facebook page that helps us, our website that helps us. I think those are some of the higher ones. But, you know, I try to do everything. I try to do as much as I can off my phone. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think it makes your life so much easier. I like to pay from my phone. I like to do banking from my phone. I've seen that. I do everything from my phone. So <laughs> there's not even one specific piece. It's just, you know, I think it's more convenient to me to do as much as I can from my yeah. phone. And so... 
Well, thank you, Rafael, for uh, giving us a chance to uh, to see you, to experience your leadership, your preaching, uh, being supported by you, uh, experiencing your prayers and all the things that you have brought right. into our congregation. Uh, it's It's been a, a very uh, amazing journey to work with you. So uh, we know right. that you are uh, moving to another right. position soon. So we, we well, wish you. you all the best, man. We wish that uh, God go with you, goes with you. And whatever you do, uh, whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you do, as Paul well, says, do you. it in the name of the thank Lord you. Thank Jesus Christ. Thank you. And thank you so much, Rafael. I, I will say more as we get closer to the end of my term here, but I have really enjoyed my time here and I will forever be grateful for Springfield Heights Mennonite Church. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, God, for calling me. Thank you, God, for calling me.